Kia ora and welcome to my podcast on the Kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey. It is Tuesday the 19th of April and today I wanted to talk about that curious contest between monetary and fiscal policy and how it combines into interest rates, inflation, government spending. Because obviously there's a potential problem if you have the Reserve Bank on one side, let's say cutting interest rates to try and stimulate economic activity, and on the other side the government is cutting spending uh, and is trying to slow down the economy. They can work against each other. In converse, you can see them both working together to actually slow down the economy or speed up the economy. And during 2020 and 2021, both our government and the Reserve Bank did work together very aggressively to support the economy during the COVID crisis, particularly in those first six to 12 months when we saw the Reserve Bank slash interest rates to naught, then start printing money, then promise to print $100 billion to buy government bonds. Eventually, over the next 18, uh, 18 months or so, until July 2021, the Reserve Bank went on to print uh, $55 billion to buy almost completely government bonds and a few local government bonds. The aim there is to lower longer-term interest rates as well as shorter-term interest rates, which the Reserve Bank controls. The end result was a significant drop in mortgage rates, in some cases to below 2%. And at the same time, in early 2020, the Reserve Bank removed the loan-to-value ratio controls that had been on banks and the banks went out there on a lending spree and you saw the housing market jump 40% in a couple of years. At the same time, the government went out there and gave cash to businesses to support them during uh, the initial COVID lockdowns and then of course later on, particularly in Auckland, uh, you saw the COVID resurgence payments and about $20 billion in cash was given, given to businesses in the form of wage subsidies and resurgence payments, the idea being, of course, that they would have enough cash to keep people employed during that period. And on that measure, it's been very successful because we have a 3.2% unemployment rate. However, it could be argued in the long run that money wasn't required. Uh, Very quickly, those businesses got back to work and were generating profits. And in fact, that $20 billion in cash, a lot of that has ended up being saved in household savings accounts in banks and also business savings accounts in banks. However, it, along with the rise in house prices, certainly did add to the inflationary pressure that's flowing through to the economy now. Because the key thing to remember is that when you stimulate the economy, particularly if you're the Reserve Bank, it can take 18 months to two years to flow through. If you're the government, depending on how you do it, it can happen a little bit quicker than that. So what we're about to see inflation for the first quarter of 2022 of around 7% or, or so uh, uh, on an annualised basis. And that is obviously the highest we've seen in several decades. And most people think the peak of the inflation. However, this is now very much a political issue. And this morning, we heard some comments from the Reserve Bank governor, which on the face of it could be interpreted as the Reserve Bank, in a way, uh, throwing responsibility back at the government 
and saying, hey, uh, you need to help us a lot more in trying to fight this inflation by tightening your fiscal policy. That's not what the Reserve Bank actually said. But uh, the opposition certainly leapt on some comments that Adrian Orr made today to say that the government should listen to the Reserve Bank and tighten its fiscal policy. And it was another opportunity for the opposition to say that the government was responsible for significant increases in inflation, effectively blaming high inflation on the government during a cost of living crisis, which politically is a brilliant move and certainly has worked for the opposition so far. But what did the Reserve Bank governor actually say? Well, let's have a listen. Without doubt, central banks around the world are currently challenged by a very high and sustained inflationary pressures. Um, the challenge is a familiar one, but I would say that the background and setting is unique. I mean, central banks now have to meet our low and stable inflation and uh, contribute to employment mandates. Uh, we have to do that in the context of a large, evolving, severe health shock to the global economy, uh, exacerbated by the Russian invasion of Ukraine at present. So it is an incredibly uncertain environment. The challenge in front of us is central banks, and I'm talking in general because we're all in this together at present, is really how do we tighten our monetary policies to constrain inflation expectations, but without creating a recession. So the, uh, the challenge of a soft landing uh, coming um, out over the next two years. Uh, for us, though, of course, we're considering this in this unusual environment. We have extremely volatile near-term data, so getting a, a starting point or a launching pad is um, very hard to estimate. Uh, there have been dramatic changes in the way people are behaving, either through uh, regulated constraints or through natural human concern uh, going on from the health shock. And there are an unbelievable number of continued economic shocks uh, hitting the environment, whether they be health, uh, geopolitical concerns, and of course, underlying this, the continued uh, climate change challenge that we have. Uh, I would say that central banks aren't going to achieve their mandates on their own. Uh, low and stable inflation and, and maximum sustainable employment, uh, we are going to need support. Central banks are going to have to communicate very, very clearly about our purpose and why we are looking to lift interest rates in, in the current environment. Uh, we're going to have to be very clear with our fiscal authorities around what we're doing and how they could assist around more targeted, effective uh, fiscal policies. And I would say, uh, speaking to the global institutions here, we really knew, do need to get on and make progress, work collaboratively on what I would call common issues or issues of the common. So that was Adrian Orr there speaking in that IMF interview in which he was generally saying that central banks would need help generally from their governments and that governments should be targeted and effective in their spending. It's not the same as saying our government, or his boss, Grant Robertson, should be tightening fiscal policy. We're a long way from that yet. Uh, it's pretty rare for central bank governors, governors to be as direct as to say, hey, um, you're making my job harder, you need to tighten fiscal policy. I don't think we're there yet. 
but it, you could see how the opposition um, would jump on it and say, uh, look, uh, the Reserve Bank governor is on our side and blaming the government for high inflation. So um, what happened next? Well, uh, we had the opposition uh, finance spokesperson, Nicola Willis, come out and talk about the government's need to be more restrained in its spending and to blame it for a lot of the inflation that is around at the moment. So I had a chat to Nicola Willis this evening and uh, put to her some of the arguments from Grant Robertson, who spoke at a news conference this afternoon in Parliament after Cabinet meeting. Remember, of course, he's the acting Prime Minister because Jacinda Ardern is away overseas. And we'll hear from him a bit more after this interview I had this evening with Nicola Willis. So, Nicola, um, do you think the government is being enough of a monetary policy mate to the Reserve Bank? Well, I think it's pretty clear from the Reserve Bank Governor's comments today uh, that alarm bells are being sounded because there is only so much monetary policy interest rate hikes can do alone. Uh, monetary policy does need friends and there is more that the finance minister could be doing to help put a lid on inflation. Uh, look, that's a range of things. It's about stopping adding costs to business. It's about restoring discipline to government spending. Uh, it's about removing bottlenecks uh, to productive growth. Uh, and it's also about being very careful about decisions in the upcoming budget. I do not think this is the time for the finance minister to be indulging in a record spend up. Uh, a $6 billion operating allowance he has planned, which would be the biggest operating allowance uh, in New Zealand uh, financial history. This is not the time at a 30-year inflation high to be doing that. Because um, Adrian Orr, he didn't seem to be specifically targeting our government. Uh, his, his comments were about uh, central banks generally, and this afternoon Grant Robertson said that he thought it was more of a generalised comment. Do you think Adrian Orr was specifically saying that the New Zealand government wasn't doing enough? I think they were generalised comments. I think he was saying, in general, uh, reserve banks, central banks around the world aren't going to be able to put a lid on inflation by themselves. They will not levers are also being brought to bear. His exact words were that we're going to need more targeted, effective fiscal policies. Um, I think it's a bit cute for... Grant Robertson to somehow exempt New Zealand from those comments. I think his precise words post-Cabinet today were uh, that we don't describe ours as a central bank, which seems a bit farcical to me. The Reserve Bank is a central bank, and just like every other central bank in the world, it's going to need help from the government to put a lid back on inflation. And uh, so how, how could the government um, tighten fiscal policy to help the Reserve Bank? What, what what spending should it cut from the plans it talked about in December at the half-yearly update? Well, of course, there's a range of things that can be done there. You know, on the one hand, it's not doing silly stuff uh, like uh, putting 50 million bands for a side bridge that then doesn't happen. But on the other hand, it's also about doing very careful prioritisation, vote by vote, line by line. 
And I'm reminded of the approach that Bill English took uh, a couple of his budgets when we were in constrained times where he had what he called a zero budget. That was, there was an operating allowance of zero dollars. And what that required of ministers was in order to keep up with the cost pressures in the portfolio and to ensure that the level of public services could be maintained, they were required to look line by line. Where are the areas of government spending that aren't maximising bang for buck, that aren't getting the results that we want? How could we redivert those dollars into better spending elsewhere? And this is exactly the time for Grant Robertson to be doing that, to be saying to each of his ministers, I want you to go and talk to your government departments and ask them to look for areas where we're adding pressure to the inflationary fire, where we could step back and use those data. So would you uh, advocate the government goes for a zero um, budget uh, for this current um, budget budget for 2022? No, I'm not advocating that. What National has advocated very clearly, however, is that when we look at an operating allowance of $6 billion, which is a record operating allowance, the biggest ever, we don't think that is appropriate. Uh, furthermore, what we would prefer to see, rather than that all going into the finance minister's pet projects, uh, we think that their time is actually right to allow New Zealanders to keep some of their money uh, and, that, and to have a package of tax reduction to achieve that. For context, uh, the, the budget will allow the finance minister take, to take in more than $12 billion more in income tax in the coming year than he did in 2017, uh, all of which he plans to spend. Uh, we would prefer to see uh, some of that be provided in tax reduction and we've put forward an inflation-adjusted tax package which with a price tag of $1.7 billion. Uh, so overall, we think this is a time for the finance minister to be showing restraint, uh, and we're not seeing any signs that he, A, thinks that's necessary, or B, has any plan to achieve it. Wouldn't the uh, tax cuts be inflationary as well? It's money back in people's hands to spend and push out prices. Well, if the alternative is Grant Robertson spending it on wasteful projects where the dollars will be chasing too few resources in a supply-constrained economy, then we'd prefer to see that with New Zealanders, who we know are making very difficult choices right now. Households who are having to juggle a rising mortgage payment or high, higher rents than ever, uh, with increasing grocery costs, increasing fuel costs. People are making difficult choices. Why should the finance minister be the one person in New Zealand who doesn't need to make difficult choices about where the next dollar is spent. So Grant Robertson said this afternoon that uh, not spending that $6 billion allowance would effectively mean uh, not spending on health because he's indicated that a large chunk of that allowance will go to health. He, he said that um, not spending on health uh, would not necessarily reduce food or fuel prices. So um, how do you, um, how, how would you tighten fiscal policy without hurting health spending? Well, I think that's frankly a facile argument uh, because it is quite possible for Grant Robertson to achieve better public health services uh, without uh, having to have a record big spend up in this budget. As I said earlier, it's all about prioritisation across the full breadth of government spending and across the full economy. 
Uh, and what I think New Zealanders would want to see him do now is go line by line through every budget for every government or department and to determine where there are areas where dollars could be reportioned more sensibly. Is this the time to be hiring more public servants and backroom roles? Is this the time to be spending hundreds of thousands on consultants? Is this the time actually to be spending health dollars, precious health dollars on bureaucratic reorganisation? National would much rather see those dollars go into better services and outcomes. And we don't accept the argument that every dollar of that six billion will actually be health services. Uh, in the half yearly update, Treasury calculated that over the four year forecast horizon, and including the $6 billion operating allowance that um, Grant Robertson indicated, there was actually a net fiscal contraction to the economy. And that included a, a stimulus in this current uh, year of 5% of GDP, which is uh, unlikely uh, to be that high now that we know that the budget deficits uh, since December have been much lower than expected. Is the government actually stimulating the economy at the at the moment with its current um, policy choices because treasury seems to be saying that no it's actually contracting its influence on the economy look what's clear is that the finance minister wants to implement record spending at a time when the economy has severe capacity constraints and the highest inflation in 30 years the fiscal impulse you refer to is not a measure of whether spending is driving inflation it's actually about discretionary spending relative to other years. And of course, uh, in the year prior, we had huge uh, stimulus uh, because of COVID. The year before that, it was less uh, because we didn't spend as much on COVID. And the year before that, it was huge uh, because of COVID. And so these are measures of spending one year relative to the other. Overall, when we look at what's happened with spending, in 2017, core crown spending was 27.8% uh, of GDP, whereas, uh, sorry, 27.8% yeah, of GDP, whereas now for 2022, 2023, it's up to 30.5% of GDP. Um, so look, I would just look at the Treasury's own words in their half-year fiscal update. What they said was that the fiscal impulse doesn't estimate the absolute level uh, of the support for the economic impact, which will vary depending on factors such as the composition of spending, which brings us back to this key message which I've had, which is the finance minister needs to stop measuring his success by the size of the dollars he apportions and start actually measuring uh, the services that are delivered and being very clear about the outcomes that are got for any expenditure. Uh, Grant Robertson also said today that um, to tighten fiscal policy would see a reduction in infrastructure mm -hmm. and new housing spending. Um, which areas of infrastructure construction spending should be cut, given uh, that it's one of the areas where government spending has had some impact on inflation? Well, look, I, I don't accept his premise that um, what, what the, the, there's only one way to achieve a reduction in inflationary spending, and that is by cutting back on um, infrastructure, specific crown infrastructure projects. Uh, rather, what I um, would uh, point to is the advice from the uh, 
Infrastructure Commission and others who have said that one of the core constraints for New Zealand's delivery of infrastructure has been around the pipeline and the sequencing of projects, ensuring that that's done both in a logical and efficient way. And I put the challenge back to the Finance Minister to determine whether or not that work has actually happened and whether we are carefully prioritising projects in the right order. I'd also uh, draw attention to the comment he made today that he thinks it's important to ensure value for money for expenditure. And if that is the case, I would like to know what value for money exercises he has done, what areas of government expenditure he's identified as not providing the best value for money, and to point to specific areas where spending has been cut back because I am not aware of any. Thank you, Nicola. That's great. That's Nicola Willis there speaking this evening. But earlier at the post-cabinet news conference, Grant Robertson was asked a few questions about what's happening with inflation and whether the government could be to blame. So let's, let's hear the grilling. Take your questions. Are you going to have to rein in spending to stop out-of-control cost of living? Well, I think it's really important still to note that the big drivers of cost of living pressures are ones that are generated offshore. So in particular, COVID-19 pandemic and the pressure that that's put on supply chains. Obviously, we've got the war in Ukraine now that is putting further pressure on that. And so while we have to be careful with our spending, we've got to continue to be balanced in the way that we approach our government spending. It is important that we don't cut our nose off despite our face and take away funding that's really important in areas like health or educational housing. Can you pull back on any of your budget initiatives to stop so much? Oh, sorry. Well, as I say, we're not going to reduce the price of food at the supermarket by cutting health spending. Um, we have to look carefully at all of our initiatives to make sure that they're value for money and that they're doing the things that New Zealanders would expect us to do. But in this budget, for example, we are completely rebuilding New Zealand's health system. There is a one-off component to the operating allowance, which is for that purpose. Other than that, the operating allowance is similar to levels that we've seen recently. Uh, but the job of making sure that we, we carefully balance our spending is one I take seriously. I know that the job of making sure that monetary policy plays its role is one that the Governor of the Reserve Bank takes seriously. He has basically sounded alarm bells to the International Monetary Fund today saying he needs your help with the fiscal side of things. Yeah, I think he, he made those comments in the context of all central banks around the world. And I agree with him that we've got to make sure that our spending is targeted and make sure that it goes to the right places. It's the reason why we've focused our cost of living attention on those on low and middle incomes with our one April package and with the winter energy payment coming back in on the 1st of May, rather than untargeted tax cuts that benefit people who earn more than 180000 a year, as the National Party would have it. Minister, um, is this current budget going to tighten fiscal policy or loosen it? Well, as I've indicated, we will be setting new fiscal rules uh, uh, because the last couple of years has obviously seen us needing to suspend some of the targets that we've previously had. I'm also on the record as saying that I think it's really important that we use fiscal policy sensibly to be able to make sure New Zealand not only keeps a lid on 
our debt, but also make sure that we invest in the right things such as infrastructure long term. And so I'll have more to say about all of that um, before the budget and on budget day itself. So is it going to tighten it or loosen it? Well, as I said, um, I'll have more to say about that on budget day. Uh, we will continue to keep a lid on debt. It is important for New Zealand that our debt levels um, return down from where they are now. Uh, we were well served by having relatively low debt as we came in to a crisis like COVID-19. But I also have to balance that against the fact that New Zealand has a massive infrastructure deficit, which we will continue to invest in. So you can hear there from Grant Robertson, A, he's saying the inflation is coming from overseas. B, he's saying, uh, if you wanted me to cut spending, I'd have to cut uh, health and education and housing and infrastructure spending, which no one would want me to do. And uh, secondly, I'm already being uh, quite uh, careful with spending and I'm still looking to push debt down. Uh, he, he carefully didn't answer my question about whether monetary policy would be looser or tighter because the implication from the kerfuffle today is that he should be tightening fiscal policy uh, later on uh, this year and into next year. Instead, we're going to get a budget on the 19th of May, which um, looks to spend upwards of $6 billion extra in operational spending this year, uh, in particular on, uh, on uh, one-off costs to do with the DHB reforms and a range of policies to start reducing climate emissions. Uh, this was signalled, actually, in December. Which sounds like an awful lot of money. It sounds like the government's spraying money around and is, of course, loosening fiscal policy. It must have a loose fiscal policy, right? Well, no. Uh, when you actually look at the fiscal impulse, which is the Treasury's measure of how much extra money, compared to last year, the government is pumping into the economy, how much of a boost, a turbo boost, is it giving the economy, well, actually, in December, Treasury worked out that over the next four years, there would be a net detraction, i.e. tightening of fiscal policy over the next four years uh, because of the government's uh, plans to not spend that much more and to stop spending um, largely the uh, big wage subsidy numbers that came out in 2020 and 2021. So the, Reserve ba the government is already helping the Reserve Bank and it wouldn't surprise me if it's actually going to do a lot more because uh, we've seen since December the government's crown accounts look much better than expected. That means less stimulus, i.e. less of a budget deficit. And that's because the tax revenues are coming rolling in. And that's how the government tightens fiscal policy by collecting more taxes than it spends. Now, it's still running a deficit, but it's much lower than expected. And uh, despite... Um, uh, impressions of lots of government spending. The government isn't actually spending as fast as it budgeted. It just can't get it out the door, in large part because it can't employ people and, of course, there are all sorts of delays in infrastructure spending. So the government is actually already tightening fiscal policy. And what Grant Robertson is suggesting is that in the next couple of weeks we'll find out a bit more about the overall fiscal rules. Now, this is really important because, in essence, the government's North Star, it's... Its red line on its um, speedometer, on its tachometer, is we will not run the government so fast that we increase net debt above 
20% of GDP. And that's been the number that's been there for a good 20 years or so. Both sides of politics have agreed to this. Essentially, it means that it's very difficult, unless you increase taxes a lot, to uh, run too much of a surplus or to invest too much capital in infrastructure. And so what we've seen over the last 30 years, in an effort to keep net debt below 20%, the government has not run very big deficits much at all. It's often it's run surpluses, it's repaid debt, and uh, it's avoided spending money on infrastructure successfully. Now, um, you could say, oh, that's good, isn't it? We like, we like low debt, uh, because low debt means low interest rates, right? Well, it also means um, infrastructure deficits and, i.e., higher house prices because there's not enough houses being built, because there's not enough water and roading and rail infrastructure being built, and um, surely that's a bad thing. Well, not if you're a median voter. You're thrilled with rising house prices, and the combination of not enough supply of house prices plus falling inflation and falling interest rates gives you a double whammy of higher house prices caused by less supply and higher house prices caused by more demand from lower interest rates. And that is the guts of the low net debt policy. Uh, now, the government tweaked it a little bit in 2019 pre-COVID to say it wanted to have a wider range of 15 to 25%. We'll see whether Grant Robertson changes that much uh, in the next couple of weeks. My suspicion is it will be tweaked a little bit more to somehow widen the range a bit more maybe to maybe 35% or something because currently net debt's around about 31% and headed very rapidly back into that range to be not far away from 20%. You might say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, um, other countries with AAA credit ratings like us have net debt closer to 60 80% and have no problems funding their deficits. The big fear underpinning New Zealand's um, public finance infrastructure and essentially our broad political culture across the centre, both Labour and National, over the last 30 years, is that we, we should never again get ourselves into a position where we can't uh, afford uh, to uh, run our own budgets and effectively the rest of the world tells us what to do or slashes our uh, credit ratings and therefore interest rates go sky high and uh, it's a bad thing. Uh, yes, that would be the case if the bond markets still were able to dictate and to um, cause mayhem when they weren't happy, but um, the world is awash with cash desperate to be put into government bonds right now. And currently, um, the government can issue debt with a real yield that is negative 3 or 4%. So i.e., uh, if you borrow money now, when you have to pay it back, it's going to be worth a lot less. Now, that's one of the beauties of inflation, is that it um, inflates away your debt. Uh, but it also means that at a time when uh, um, interest rates are lower, than inflation, that should encourage governments to invest money in the long run. And that's sort of what Grant Robertson is saying. The problem is, in the short run, the political uh, story of governments causing inflation and putting up interest rates, therefore what the government needs to do is tighten its belt, just like the rest of us, and reduce its spending and therefore reduce interest rates and therefore um, help keep house prices up. Uh, now, um, 
This is a nice microcosm of the debates that have driven uh, the centre of New Zealand politics and our finances for 30 years. And we're going through the same mistakes again of equating the government's balance sheet with the household balance sheet, in my view, and in um, using the short-term political pain of inflation and um, knowing that the lagged effects of loosening of fiscal and monetary policy are showing through when monetary and fiscal policy were extremely loose and probably too loose in 2020, but it's now showing through in inflation now. Uh, but the irony is, or the risk is, that we effectively um, uh, engage in pro-cyclical policy. That is, we uh, tighten over-tighten fiscal and monetary policy at the exact moment when the economy is slowing down and moving into some sort of recessionary state. And if the um, political noise were to be listened to and the government was to dramatically tighten fiscal policy even more than it already is, um, just to keep interest rates low and, and to crash the economy and cause deflation, um, then uh, you would uh, have a particular problem. The government's unlikely to follow the advice of the opposition, but the opposition is um, playing clever politics and uh, it's winning politics at the moment because right now, of course, people are feeling the pain of higher petrol prices and food prices and rents and inflation, about half of which in New Zealand is due to factors in New Zealand, some of which are the housing market, the Reserve Bank, uh, uncompetitive uh, markets, particularly supermarkets, banking, uh, uh, building materials and fuel. You could add uh, insurance and um, some retail sectors to, that, sectors to that, in my view. But there are many causes for inflation. It's easy to blame the government uh, in total. And you could argue both the government and the Reserve Bank were responsible for being too loose in 2020. Back then, though, we all thought that unemployment was headed for 20% and that um, putting the pedal to the metal uh, was the right thing to do. Uh, and, you know, you can be accused of being a Monday morning quarterbacker or a uh, someone who's always right uh, in retrospect, <laughs> which, is, which is fair enough. Um, in my view, I think the Reserve Bank should not have uh, removed its LVR restrictions and should have stopped money printing within two or three months once the um, it was clear, once the dust was settling and things weren't going to, the, the world wasn't going to end. And amazingly, in my view, the Reserve Bank is still running its funding for lending program, which is the lending of uh, money directly to banks from the Reserve Bank at the official cash rate. So it's very cheap lending. Uh, the banks have briefly indicated they would use the money to fund new house building, and some of them have, but not all of it. And in fact, uh, since the Reserve Bank stopped printing money to buy government bonds, it has printed at least $5 billion more to lend it at extremely low interest rates uh, in, in, in some, some of that period naught to banks um, who have gone on to report pretty strong profits. And uh, at least up until September, October of last year, we're using that money to help pump up the housing market. So, net-net, um, where are we at the end of the day? Well, I don't think 
the Reserve Bank really was calling for a monetary policy, mate, today. Uh, Adrian Orr was making some broad points. If he really wanted to um, have a swipe at the government, he could, and he has in the past, and uh, he could do it publicly. But in effect, um, to do it in an interview <laughs> with an IMF official overseas uh, would be a pretty provocative move, and I don't think he's done that. Now, is the opposition right to blame the government for um, all of the inflation, or even some of the inflation? Well, a little bit, I think. Um, certainly the $20 billion worth of cash given to businesses, uh, which helped pump up the housing market, has had an effect on inflation. And uh, you could argue that certainly in some building materials and construction, the government's pressure on infrastructure and some housing spending has pushed up a bit of inflation there. But uh, the government is right uh, when it says that the majority of the inflationary impulses come from the rest of the world, sometimes in monetary policy, but also the various dramas with COVID, logistics problems, Ukraine war, higher fuel prices, higher food prices. Interestingly, the government uh, is, has chosen the last couple of weeks to start um, uh, blaming the supermarkets and to suggest that it might take more aggressive action than was recommended by the Commerce Commission, and we'll keep a watching uh, brief on that. Uh, certainly it wants to redistribute the pain of inflation around, and looks like it will do that, and we'll try and follow up on that. Well, there we have it, a, um, uh, a detailed discussion on uh, what we've seen in the housing markets, interest rates, inflation, politics, reserve bank, all the fun stuff. I'd like to thank uh, paid subscribers for to the Kaka who support the work I do um, trying to understand and explain the political economy, in particular dealing with the issues of housing, unaffordability, climate change in action and child poverty reduction. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. It's April the 19th. <laughs>